Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight, I have one of our throwback episodes. So if you've been listening a while, you know that the Story Night ministry began in Santa Barbara at Santa Barbara Community Church, and they had these amazing live events and women shared their stories. Well, we have the recordings of many of those stories, and thankfully, these ladies are so gracious to let us air those recordings for you to hear. So tonight you're going to get to hear Jill's story and stay tuned at the very end because she's actually here with me tonight and will give us a little update on how her life has been since she shared her story. So ladies, please sit back and enjoy. This is Jill's story from March of 2016. (laughs) Thank you, Bonnie. That was very lovely and already got me crying. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming tonight to Story Night. I'm overwhelmed by how many of you there are. That's awesome. And thank you for being gracious that I'm sitting because most of Story Night ladies stand, but I am uh, nursing back to health uh, quite a serious wound on my foot. So I need to sit tonight while I tell my story and it will later become part of the story. So it's a little prop. So I love nature. I'm a nature girl through and through. I love everything about nature. I love the smell of the trees. I love being high in the mountains. I love the beach. I just, I feel like I'm at my best, most peaceful self when I am out in nature. That is my dad. And that is a backpacking trip he and I took about seven months ago. And he and I have been doing father-daughter backpacking trips since I was in high school. And I've been backpacking with him really my whole life. And what I love about backpacking is putting everything I need to survive in that pack. It's a new pack, isn't it pretty? (laughs) Well, green. You know, my food, my shelter, my clothing, and heading out into the wild, unknown spaces that the Lord has created. It's just magical and wonderful for me. And I feel like my journey with the Lord is like that, like one long, big backpacking trip. And he's taken me to some beautiful places, amazing, gorgeous places. But he's had me also climb some really steep, strenuous mountains. And he's had me walk through some really lonely, dry riverbeds. He's asked me to lay down my map and my compass and head out completely trusting and following him. So I, my journey began when I was about two weeks old and I was adopted. Prior to my adoption, I lived with my birth mom. And at two weeks old, she decided she couldn't take care of me anymore. So she drove to an adoption agency and left me at the office. So the social workers found me there and then called the next family on the list waiting for a baby girl and said, there's a little girl here at our office and she can't stay here and we can't take her home. So you need to come right now and decide if you're going to adopt her or not. So my parents came and within an hour signed the paperwork and left with me. So that's how I found my new family. That's me, nice, healthy, chunky baby. (laughs) And that's my brother. He's four years older, and he is also adopted. So when I say I grew up backpacking, I literally mean it. (laughs) My first backpacking trip, I was zero, and I'm I'm close to one in this picture. Uh, It says 11 months on the back of it. That's my beautiful mama having her morning cup of coffee before we go out on our adventure. 
And this is what we did as a family. We hiked, we camped, and we backpacked. On trips like this, my mom carried me, and my brother walked, and my dad carried everything for a family of four to survive (laughs) out in nature, in the wilderness, for about four or five days. Um, So I've done this forever. And I love it. My love of nature comes from this, this time in my life. My dad found a job that went with his love of nature, and he worked for the National Park Service. He was a research scientist for the National Park Service. And he would take us on his field work with us, which was really fun. So, like, I've been on the Channel Islands camping out there while he did work on the island foxes, and um, he had to go work on the Oregon Caves, so we went with him and went through the Oregon Caves. and So just really fun childhood trips because of his work. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, she went back to work when I was 16, so I had her with me my whole life. And she was, she was just an amazing, wonderful mom. And I describe her as a Pinterest mom because she was very artsy, very craftsy. And we would, um, after school, we would have snacks together, and we'd get our snack and you know make it into a bear face and eat it, or you know like a ladybug. And then you know she was just very creative that way. She was very hands-on and very involved in my life. I have a love of cats that also came from my childhood. I have four in that picture. A stray cat had a litter of kittens under our house, so we kept them. (laughs) And I still have cats today, so my husband would rather have a dog, but I'm a cat girl. (laughs) Okay, so my dear friend said I had to have a bad hair picture. (laughs) There are worse, but this is as bad as I was willing to go. So I'm in sixth grade there, and anyone with this kind of hair knows that short hair is a bad, bad, bad idea. <laughs> but I remember wanting it short, because I'm there with my, um, my swim coaches, and I wanted it short to tuck it up into the swim cap, and that, that was just a bad idea. <laughs> so. so I was a competitive swimmer up until seventh grade. I loved swimming. I was very good at it. I got many awards and accolades for my swimming. And in sixth, seventh grade, somewhere in there, we were talking with my coaches to get me a trainer, to get me ready for the high school swim team and where I was going with my swimming. In junior high, I started going to the local church youth group. Uh, We weren't a Christian family, but we had friends that were, and I would go to church with them when I would spend the night. And so I was very interested in who God was and very inquisitive about what church really was and how this God thing worked and everything. So when I had a chance to go to a youth group in junior high, I was that was great. And I loved it. I instantly loved it. I loved the music. I loved the crazy youth group games. And I really loved how I felt when I was with that kind of, that group of people. They were just different than other kids at my junior high. And I could even believe in the message that God was real. But what I didn't get was my need for Christ, because my identity is, was, was in swimming and who I was becoming athletically. So I didn't need God because I was a swimmer and I was going this way. Eighth grade came and everything changed. I started having all sorts of health problems. I couldn't get across the pool and I wasn't first and I'm always first in swimming. I was having trouble with stairs, getting up and down stairs. My hands were turning purple, and my fingers were turning purple, and my toes were turning white, and they were going numb. 
So my mom took me to the doctor, and they immediately sent us to UCSF. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area, just about an hour outside of San Francisco. And so they sent us into San Francisco to a pediatric specialist there. And within two weeks, I was diagnosed with two different autoimmune diseases. The first one is called Raynaud's, and it is where the circulation cuts off to your extremities, to your fingers, and to your toes. I'm sitting tonight because of the lack of circulation to my toes. This winter did damage to a toe, and uh, I was at risk of getting it amputated. I'm out of the woods now, thankfully for that, but I still need to stay off of it. It's still an open wound that hasn't healed, and so I just need to keep it warm, and I need to stay off of it. So my hands turn purple and go white anytime I get cold. Washing the dishes, my hands turn purple. Going into my refrigerator or the freezer, my hands turn purple. Drinking my ice water tonight, my hands turn purple. So it affects every, just daily tasks, and it is very painful. But it is not the biggest health thing I have. The other diagnosis was lupus. Lupus is a life-threatening autoimmune disease that affects many different parts of your body. Your immune system doesn't work right. It can't tell the difference between you and something foreign, so I get sick real easily, and then my body can't heal it very fast. So getting the flu is very dangerous for me. And getting over a cold can take a really long time. Lupus can affect your joints, your heart, your kidneys, your lungs, your brain, your skin. Did I say that? Your blood cells. For me, it affects my joints. I have arthritis in every joint in my body. I get total body flares. It affects my skin, my blood cells, my heart, and my lungs. I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. Prior to lupus, I was an athlete, and I was going somewhere with it. And just in a few weeks, I was this very sick person that I didn't even recognize. That winter, which is probably maybe six weeks after my diagnosis, totally not understanding what lupus is or what Raynaud's is, I go on the winter retreat with a youth group. Totally wrong place to be. So second night there, I'm completely bedridden and in so much pain. But I don't want to go home, I want to stay, because I, I love the youth group. The girls' dormitory is above where the meeting hall was, and I can hear everybody singing praise songs and worshiping the Lord. And I could hear the youth pastor talking about a higher love. So it was there, completely alone and in desperation and broken heart and a crushed spirit that I gave my life to Christ. I quickly learned the Bible verse, Deuteronomy 31.6, that says, make sure I quote it correctly, do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord God goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. I clung to that verse that God would not leave me in this pain. I wish I could say things got better once I gave my life to Christ, <laughs> but they didn't. And he doesn't promise us, th us that. He doesn't promise to remove our suffering or remove our trials. What he promises is that he will walk us through them and not leave us when we're in them. High school came and things continued to get worse. Alcoholism found its way into my family, so there was that stress. And yeah, my health just got worse. Uh, it took four years to get my medications correct, so there was, it was just a long journey and a long road to get the right combination to, to manage my flares. There were times I couldn't sit up in my bed, so my mom would sit behind me, and I would lean back, and my dad would feed me. To get down to the bathroom, I would stand on my mom's feet, and she would wrap her arms around me, and i kind of hang like a rag doll, and we'd walk down the hallway together to get to the bathroom. 
this is how life went in high school went. I would have some good months and I would have some really bad months. Probably more like weeks that I have really good weeks and I had really bad weeks. I was told that I couldn't live on my own or that if I did, I would have to live near my parents because I needed so much help. And I could see that we all believed that. So college was out of the question. Um, I didn't apply when all my friends were applying. So for me, it felt like my backpack was laid down. My journey was over. But this is not how Christ was writing my story. When I graduated from college, I really felt a shift in my heart and in me. And I felt like he really carried me through all that hard, hard time in high school. And when I graduated from college, I felt like he put my feet back down on the ground and said, now go find me and seek me and find out who I am. I realized that I'd been living like I was going to die. And I didn't want to live that way anymore. If lupus was going to take my life, I have no control over that. That is completely up to the Lord. But what I do have control over is how I spend my days here on earth. I was finally believing the verse that I had heard so many times before, Jeremiah 29:11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God had so much more for me, and I was ready for it. So I wanted to move down here and try out college and go to City College. This was not well received by my parents or my doctors. But I was insistent that I had to go. I had to go try and live. So I was 19 when I, when I moved down here. My health problems came with me, but I was la- learning to stand on my new faith in Christ, my faith in Christ. When I came down here, I started going to two different colleges and two different youth groups. I was just hungry and thirsty for God. My health problems came with me. Um, I learned I had to make some adjustments. I never took a full load. The amount of study and the amount of staying up late, that doesn't work. I have to have nine hours of sleep every night to not have a flare, which is very difficult, as you would know, to get nine hours of sleep at night. So every day is planned around my, my sleep. Every day is planned around my sleep. So I could never take a full unit or load in college. And my second semester at City College, I got a big flare in my lungs. So that hill, if you know City College, campus is up here and the parking lot is down here. I couldn't make it up. I, I collapsed one time getting halfway up. So my new doctor here gave me two choices. He said, you can uh, take the semester off and heal, or you can go down more in units like one class and get a handicapped parking permit. Well, alcoholism was still doing its damage back at home, and I knew I needed to be around believers, so I chose to stay. I knew if I dropped out, I would have to go home, and that just wasn't a healthy place for me to be. So I chose to stay, and I got that handicap parking permit, which you don't look sick, so it was very hard to use, because I would pull in and jump out of the car and go to my classes. <laughs> but if I didn't, I'd be passed out halfway up the hill, so I had to use the parking permit. And I had to have, rely on new friends down here, um, friends went to classes for me and got my assignments. This really handsome guy named Andy, who I later married, he tutored me by my bedside so I'd pass my classes. So it took five years and every summer of summer school to get through college, but I did it. And that was a hugely victorious moment for me and for my family because I had just accomplished something that we thought I could never do. So it was a really great moment. By the time I graduated college, Andy and I were dating, which is really great. And I knew that he understood about lupus. He had seen me sick. He had been there. 
And when we started dating, I started bringing him with me to the doctor appointments because I wanted him to really understand what he was getting into if he married me, because I was going to be a very expensive wife, that was for sure. (laughs) Still am. (laughs) But the next thing we needed to talk about was children. Because of the medication that I was on, I couldn't get pregnant. Um, And because of the way lupus attacks my heart and my lungs, I was at risk of not surviving a pregnancy, especially childbirth. I've always wanted to adopt my children because of my own adoption story. I feel so blessed how I was cared for in that it could have gone such a different way, and yet it didn't. I found an amazing, wonderful family. God found an amazing, wonderful family for me. I have grieved many losses from lupus, but childbearing is not one of them. And that peace, that peace that doesn't make sense, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that is only from the Lord. So I share this with Andy. I share what the doctors say and how I want to adopt my children and the peace I have about it, but I know that he needs to make his own choice. If he wants to create his family through conception, then I'm not the wife for him. So we're sitting down on the beach, and he is quiet for not very long, and he asks me just one question. He says, how do you feel about adopting from Russia? (laughs) If you know our story, 11 years later, we adopted our children from Russia. So before we were even engaged, the Lord had this part of our journey laid out before us. That's my handsome man. I chose this picture for two reasons. One, because he knew the way to my heart was Disneyland. (laughs) We had lots of dates to Disneyland. And two, most of you who know him know him as a clean-shaven ponytail man. And that is not that. (laughs) He shaved that mustache the the weekend before he proposed. And we've been married 18 years, and that mustache has never come back. (laughs) I like his clean-shaven face. Well, before we could get to adopting our children, we had to get through a very rocky part to our marriage. We had very different communication styles, and we had very different styles of conflict resolution. He was an avoider, and I was a confronter. And this doesn't work very well. (laughs) At all. We had money issues, and lupus affected our marriage in ways that we did not expect. So by the second year of our marriage, we were in need of counseling. And so I asked Andy to go, let's go get some help. And he said no, he wouldn't go. He felt embarrassed as a man and a husband, and he felt defeated. And I think that's very common for men, or can be common for men. So we suffered for two more years, putting on the happy Christian face that everything was fine, never letting our friends know or our family know. And by year four, we had four years of unresolved conflict because we didn't fight, we didn't talk, because he does this and I do this. So by year four, he said, okay, let's go. And after a few months of counseling, we had this giant mountain of unresolved conflict sitting in front of us. And we were mad and overwhelmed. Andy says at that time he was mad at God, and I know I was mad at Andy. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) The placing blame doesn't really help. (laughs) So now we start actually fighting. Before we weren't even fighting, but now we're fighting, we're bickering, and we're bickering a lot. At this time in our marriage, too, Andy is out of work. His company went under, so he has no work, and I only have a part-time job. I'm teaching at a a job share at Adams School. And Andy's mom is diagnosed with stage 3 cancer, so we have that stress. So we have multiple stresses coming at us, not just in our marriage. 
So I suggest a crazy idea because of our fighting just not getting us anywhere. And I suggested it's not because I didn't love him or I wasn't committed to our marriage. It was because of my commitment to our marriage. I suggest that we not live together. I suggest that we separate. And I suggest that we separate so that we can come back in neutral moments and talk and then go away and not create another fight and work out our marriage issues this way. This completely shocked Andy and our counselor. She's an amazing Christian counselor in town. And she said, okay, we're going to do this. I believe in your commitment and your commitment to each other. We're going to do this. We'll do it my way. And you have to do it 100% the way I say it. And we said, okay. We kind of got our little spanking like that. (laughs) We'll do it. So Andy moved out and he moved back home with his parents in Carpinteria. And I stayed in our condo in Goleta. And she made a, we had a talk every day. We had to pray by phone every night. There was times she would tell us to go to a neutral location and talk about this one specific issue in your marriage and talk about it until you have a resolution and then go away before you can start another fight. And there were other times she would say, you guys are just going to date. So Andy, you're going to pick her up. You're going to plan a date. You're going to take her out on a date. And you're not going to talk about any of the marital issues. You're just going to date. And then he would bring me back to the condo and he had to go away. He couldn't come in. And we did this for six long months. We worked and we worked and we worked for six long months. In moments like these, it can be really hard to see God and see where he is and what he's doing. But he was there, and he was, he was holding us up. Andy's mom's cancer turned to stage four, and she died. We lost her. But because Andy was out of work and because he was living at home, he got to spend every single day with his mom before she went home to the Lord. What a blessing. And because I didn't have a full-time job, I got so much time with my beautiful mother-in-law. Also because of our work situations, we could spend hours in the day giving to each other. We didn't have to carve out time at our lunch hour or after dinner, after work and after dinner and the dinner dishes, and by then you're really tired and we have these really big issues to work out. We could talk during the day for four hours of the day if we needed to. It was such a gift, what he gave us, to fix what we had broken, what we hadn't taken care of. When we came back together, which we did, our counselor said, you two need a giant long vacation together. So we did. We went to Europe for five weeks, and in true fashion of what I love to do, we backpacked our way through Europe, and we went to France and Italy and Greece, and it was magical, and it was like a second honeymoon. And it was on this trip that we decided we wanted to renew our vows to each other and to the Lord. So when we came back, we had a renewal ceremony down on, um, where was that? Cabrillo Art Center. Once we let our friends in, they were obviously concerned but supportive, and they were there for us, our family and our friends. So this is about maybe 40, 50 people. We came down there and we renewed our vows. And I only have two anniversaries every year, and, and we celebrate both. So it's great. So after, after that, we always talk about the pre-separation and the post-separation. The post-separation years are so much better. So after that, we felt like we just had some honeymoon years in there, just, you know, kind of start or newlywed years, you know, just felt like a new marriage and starting over again. And then we started our adoption. This is another journey. The separation felt like that giant mountain that we just had to work at and climb so hard. The adoption felt like the lonely, long, dry riverbed that we didn't know when it was going to end. It takes about a year to do paperwork for an international adoption. That's pretty normal. 
And then you enter the ever-long waiting period when you're waiting to be matched with a child. We wanted two children. I told Andy I was not going to fly halfway around the world and bring home one. We're going to go get two. (laughs) Whether you like it or not. Well, Russia said they don't allow two non-biological children out of the country. So you're going to have to have a sibling pair. And we were asking for toddlers. So they said you need to change your age range to older if you want to. And we said no. We feel like we're supposed to get toddlers. This is where the Lord is leading us. So we are keeping it as toddlers. So we had, to change, we had to have our paperwork written that we wanted one with a high desire for two if it should arise. Andy and I never stopped praying that the Lord would do a miracle somehow and either get us a sibling pair in our age range or allow two non-biological children out of the country. We didn't care what he did, but just bring us two. They said it would take six months to get matched with a, for, to a child, and it took a year and a half. And that was so hard. Because with our marriage, we could do, we messed it up. We, we broke it. We needed to fix it. So there's work to do. There's things that we could do, tangibly do to fix our own marriage. In this, there's nothing. There's nothing we can do except pray, which is very powerful. There's nothing to keep my hands busy, nothing for me to work on. It was just waiting, waiting for the Lord to do what he, whatever he was going to do. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I'm not a very still person, and I'm not a very patient person. So this is very hard, and it was a very long time of learning to be still before the Lord for me. And it was a time of doubt, too. Did I, did I hear the Lord wrong? Was I, were we not supposed to adopt from Russia? Was I not going to be a mother of orphans? But what he was doing was waiting for the boys to be relinquished for adoption, Not every child in an orphanage is available for adoption, at least in Russia. I don't know how it works in other countries. Some are just there because the parents put them there and hope to come back and get them. But there were rights that, after they've been there for so long, rights just get terminated by law. So the Lord was waiting for the boys' rights to get terminated because it wasn't happening from their, their their parents' side. He knew he wanted those two boys to be ours, and he was waiting for that moment to happen. And the second that they were terminated, we were called within two weeks to be matched with them. By this time in our marriage, we both have jobs. Yay! We have work. And I am teaching at Monta Vista in a kindergarten classroom. And so I can't take phone calls in my classroom because they're kindergartners. <laughs> they will turn on you in a second. <laughs> I love them, but oh my. Um, so we knew all the phone calls would come through Andy. So we had a signal for this day that if we were matched with a girl, um, he would show up in my classroom with, with a pink rose. And if we were matched with a boy, he would show up in my classroom with a red rose. So I'm teaching my kinders. They're on the floor in front of me. And I look up and I see Andy in the back of my classroom. And he's holding two red roses. And I dismiss my kinders very fast outside. And I send my aide out. And Andy and I are just crying, and I'm holding those two red roses to my chest. And he says, you're not going to believe it. God did it. These boys are in the same orphanage. These boys are in Siberia, but they are not biologically related. God did his miracle. Those are my baby boys. <laughs> this is when, these are the first pictures we were given of them. This is before we even met them. So the little guy is Sasha, and he is 18 months in that picture. And the big tank is, which he's not a tank, he's a super scrawny guy. 
<laughs> in that picture, he looks like this tank. That's Stasi, and he is two years, two years, ten months in that picture. Well, God has a sense of humor. God is ironic because he sends me to Siberia <laughs> in the dead of winter. I mean, really? I have arthritis, I have lupus, I have Raynaud's, and I am in Siberia in January in the dead of winter. That is me, believe it or not. Just see my little eyes. Uh, I am covered head to toe. It is about 4 o'clock in the evening, and the sun is setting because, of course, it's, North, it's Siberia. Um, so we ran outside and took a couple pictures and ran back inside just to prove we were there. Um, we don't have very many pictures of being outside. And it's about negative 15 degrees when this picture was taken. I was there for eight days. I'd had not one flare and not one complication with my circulation. And praise God. My rheumatologist in town has this in his office. So if you have the same rheumatologist as me, you will see this there because it's just absurd. It is so absurd. That is our first picture back at home in America. Uh, it was about three weeks home there. And I love the joy, not just in me and Andy, but the boys. They're like giddy. They know that they have a mom and dad now. They're just giddy. And those of you who don't know my children, this is what they look like today. Handsome fellas. The Stasi is in the red. He's my oldest. He's 11, and he is shorter than my other one. And my other one is Sasha. He's nine and a half, and he is just ginormous. He's huge. <laughs> just huge. His birth father must be this giant Russian man. <laughs> That's what we think anyway. It's been seven years since the boys have come home, and my road, the long road in my marriage, the struggle in my marriage is over. Praise God for that. And the long road to being a parent is over. But what is not over is my struggle with lupus. That is still here with me. Many times in my life when I would get sick, um, really sick, um, my parents would come down and they'd take care of me, and that way Andy can go to work. And I have had flares since I've been a mom, and my parents come down, and my mom takes care of the boys, and my dad attends to my needs and will drive me to the hospital or to my doctor's appointments wherever I need to go or sit with me in the hospital, and then Andy can go to work. And it's kind of the little dance that we have with me and my family and how we do lupus. Well, two years ago, my mom died unexpectedly of a massive heart attack in the middle of the night. It was awful. It is the worst phone call, the worst night of my life, and I'm still deeply grieving that loss. She and I were incredibly close. We started mother-daughter trips in high school, or sorry, in college. In college, we started mother-daughter trips. And it was actually on one of those mother-daughter trips. We would meet in Cambria, which is about halfway between here and the Bay Area. It was on one of those trips in college that she gave her life to Christ. And she, she and I prayed together down on the beach, and she became a Christian and as the only other family member who, who shared my faith. The year she died, I was in the hospital twice, uh, once because of my heart. That was a big one. It is the first time since having lupus that I didn't have my mom. I have never been so scared and so alone in that moment, and yet I've I've walked this journey with lupus for so long, but not having your mom, it was heartbreaking. Besides Christ, she has been my number one rock. I am an adult, and yet I wanted my mommy. That's what I wanted. But in my grief for the loss of my mom, and during that trial, and I had all that heart problem, my friends were there, 
this church was there. My family was fed. I homeschooled my kids, and all my homeschooling mamas and other friends came to take care of my children. My house got cleaned. Awesome men came to do yard work for my husband. We were cared for. In many ways, the doctors were right. I cannot survive lupus on my own. That has been proven. But what they didn't know was all the amazing churches and people and faithful friends God would give me throughout my entire life so that I could lead a whole and productive and awesome life that I have. He is so, so good and so faithful. I don't know what my future holds. None of us do. None of us know how our story is written. This fall will mark 30 years of me having lupus. If I think about my next 30, I can go just crazy with worry. And so I can't even go there. All I can do, I just take it one day at a time. So I strap on my backpack. I set out following the footsteps of the Lord and giving praise and thanks to God for all he has done. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Thank you. God bless you. Ladies, as always, I hope you were so blessed and encouraged by this story. And as promised, I've got Jill here and she, I'm sure, has lived a little bit more life in the last six years. I'm sure there are some new chapters or some updates of what she shared. So Jill, thank you so much for taking time to do this. And it's so good to see your face because ladies, what you don't know is that Jill was actually a Bible study leader for me many, many years ago and actually even a professor for me (laughs) when I was getting my teaching credential. So our paths crossed in so many different ways. That's just been so fun. So it's so good to see your face again. And thank you for doing this. So Jill, what's happened in your life over the last six years? I know we talked a lot about your health and your in your family building and your marriage and all of these things. So yeah. tell us a little more about your story since 2016. Sure. Well, it's, thank you for having me. And it's wonderful to see you. When we get to see each other on Zoom. We know the listeners, we, they don't get to see our faces, but it's really nice to see your face <laughs> and hear how your life is going up in Oregon. And we sur- sure miss you here in Santa Barbara, but it's wonderful too, to see how wonderful you're doing. And so yes, let's see, six years, it's been quite a while since my story. And I did talk a lot about gosh, my health and the early parts of our marriage that were rocky and how the Lord used that. And then uh, the adoption journey and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, they all kind of like interweaves together and they all, all kind of connect. So on the health, health side of things, I can report things have been very good, especially in COVID. That was actually very scary because I have four autoimmune diseases, like I said in the story on my story night. And so I have an immune system that can't fight off anything really. <laughs> so whether wherever you are on whatever side of COVID and vaccinations and all that, that's not what I'm talking about here. It's just more my story and that I needed to be safe. And so it was 
it was scary for me. It was scary for my family, but I also, you know, chose not to live in fear. And so I would get up really early in the morning and take beautiful beach walks since we live in Santa Barbara, or I would take hikes uh, in the hills really early in the morning. Cause of course my story is all about hiking. And I call I started to call it the trail shun because when someone comes down, I would just like, you know, turn my back to them and let them walk by. And I had, you know, I, before masks, I just had a bandana over my mouth and I'd, you know, whip it up over, but I thought, okay, this is doable because, because I'm getting outside I'm exercising my body. And that's just where I feel so connected to the Lord is outside in his presence and seeing his creation and all of that. So, so I always feel like I survived COVID because I hiked, <laughs> I beach walked and I, and I did all of those things. And I also found pickleball, which I know is like the nation rave right now, but I did, I found pickleball. A couple from our church was doing a clinic and I thought, well, let's try it. Tennis um, doesn't work for me. Totally hurts my hands and my arthritis. And I thought, well, this is for the community. It was um, a fundraiser for to put in new pickleball courts in, in Goleta. And I thought, well, it's a donation. And if it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work. And if it does, it does. And I was hooked by that first clinic. And now I play three times a week. I play six to eight hours a week. I am fully and totally addicted. I plan as much as things I can around it. And I'm still Bible study leader. And so some of the ladies that are in my group are wanting, have wanted to learn. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll teach them. So that's been actually really fun to teach the ladies that are in my Bible study. So that's just been kind of a fun thing that has grown out of COVID and has been really good for me health-wise because I exercise, I'm social, you know, get out and be social. That part is good. Lupus has been really good, very stable, very boring numbers, which is really good in the blood work. So it's just like, this is good. Boring is good in the world of my health. So that, you know, thank you, Lord. And that's a praise. Yes, I have too. I think, you know, definitely talked about the adoption of my boys and going to and from Russia and, you know, puberty hit and their stories are very different and struggles hit. And so I have one that's not doing so well. And that's Mm -hmm. probably been the biggest challenge in my, in my life right now is, is helping my struggling teenager. He's currently not living at home. He's living in a treatment center. And that is super, super hard to have one of your your children living, not with you. So there's a woman at our church who is also an adoptive mom. And a few years ago, she started and not necessarily a support group because we don't sit and talk about this is what my kid's doing this week, or we meet every other week. You know, this is what my kid's doing. It's more a time to sit in the presence of Jesus. And she will lead us through like Dio Divina, which is where you read scripture over and over. And each time a different word comes and we'll read it three times. And then she'll ask, you know, what word, you know, popped out to you and we'll journal about it. We'll read it three more times and a different word will come. Sometimes we look at art and recently we looked at um, where Jesus, where Jesus was in a room and, you know, teaching and they lowered the, they lowered their friend through the through the roof to get to Jesus. And we thought that's how we are. Like as moms, like can someone just lower me to Jesus to help my child who's suffering? But the one that really, really hit me that I keep going back to, I did a drawing of it was when we were talking about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And it was very much, I started breaking down in tears and it was my kid is in the wilderness and I can't help him. And I feel lost that I can't help him. And 
so I'm having this prayer time and we meet up at the church, but we meet outside on the hill, which you probably know, and it overlooks, you know, the valley and you can see the hills and the ocean. And so it's just a very beautiful place. And he was very in my face in that moment. I felt like a wall almost push against me or like air push against me. And it was no, no, you are not supposed to go in the wilderness, Joel. I have him and I am in the wilderness with him. You are not supposed to enter the wilderness because you cannot help him in there. And I have my other child and I have my husband and my job as a teacher. You are not supposed to go in the wilderness. I have him and I am with him in the wilderness and you are supposed to trust me with him in the wilderness. And it really brought me back to the adoption because as the adoption went longer and longer. And I wasn't with my boys. I started to have this panic, like, where are my kids? I need my kids. I want to get to my kids. And he was like, no, no, I am with them in the orphanage and I will bring you to them at the right time, but I am with them here and you can't get here now because you have to do all this other paperwork and other stuff and you have to wait for the court date, but I am with them and they are not alone. And it was, it was the same thing, you know, years what how long how long have I had them? 14 years now. Later, that it's the same. I am still with them. I have not left them. They're actually, they're actually more mine than yours, is kind of the message I was getting from him. And so I just keep going back to that. That was back in December, and my son is still gone, and it's May, and he is still in the wilderness. And you know, we call we get to talk to him a couple times a week and we get to encourage him. And sometimes he'll want to talk to us, and sometimes he won't. And when he doesn't want to talk to us, it's okay, but God is with him and God is with him in the wilderness and God is doing his own work in him and God is doing his work with me and my other son who's here in the house and, and my husband. And I have to, I have to parent the one that's here. You know, I almost just have to completely re- relinquish parenting and pouring into him and let the treatment center do all of those things. And I can do the best I can on our you know, brief phone calls a couple times a week, but I really have to just let him go and let, and let God have him. And so that's where I'm at. That is what I'm learning. And it's, it's a daily surrender of my child. It's a daily surrender. And then it's a daily leaning on him in a, in a way that I haven't before. And it's a little bit like, aren't I done with lessons? (laughs) Also, haven't I had enough? (laughs) Uh, with my health and with our marriage and which is fabulous by the way, but early on and everything just, but um, I don't know. I guess God has more to teach me and more to teach my family. So that is the quick mm-hmm. update of, of where we're at. It's always such a challenge to try and narrow down six years into a few minutes of an update. <laughs> but I have to say the picture you painted of the wilderness and and God saying you that's not for you that's for me mm-hmm. and so I hope ladies as we close that you can rest in that in that picture it's beautiful beautiful Jill I mean what a way to end so we always close with the speaker praying for our listeners and I would just love you to stay right in that that picture of all of all of those listeners who feel like they just got hit by a wall that's mm-hmm. saying the wilderness is not for them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Father God, oh, thank you for this ministry and thank you for women supporting women. 
we need each other. And so I am just encouraged and blessed to be a very small part of what Jessica is doing here. And God, we just hold on to your promises that you, you never leave us or forsake us. And we have all been in a wilderness or are in a wilderness or maybe our wildernesses to come. And they will all look different than the lady sitting next to us, but we will all be there and we need our sisters in Christ. And I just praise you, God, and thank you that you do not leave us or forsake us and that you do not leave us um, where we're at, but you continue with us until the day of completion. And so may we rest in that hope that we are not finished and that we are not a burden to you. We are your daughters and you delight in us and you want good things for us. And sometimes the road to the good things is through that wilderness. And in, through that hard part, God, so may our eyes be on you. And sometimes we can only look one step in front of us, but may our foot foot go in your footstep, God. May it just be following your footsteps all the way through. I lay all my sisters in Christ before you, God, just may they feel your love right now. May they be encouraged knowing that you, their King, is loving on them and carrying them and whispering sweet words of encouragement whatever they are in their journey with you. I am blessed and honored, God, by the stories that you have given me that you have asked me to share. Bless their night, God. Fill their cup with what they need. You know what it is. Fill each of their cups with what they need. And may they be encouraged for their tomorrow. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Jill. So sweet. I haven't gotten to, you know, pray with you for years and years. So it's, it's just a sweet thing to hear you again. And so grateful for you. <laughs> Much love. Yes. Ladies, I hope you enjoyed again, listening to this. And as a quick reminder, we do have our next live story night event coming up on May 12th. This is 2022 when we're recording this. So if you are within driving distance of McMinnville, Oregon, be sure uh, to visit us at calvarymac.com and register there because these stories are so impactful and they are they are so full of hope and we don't want you to miss them. But for those of you who live far away, rest assured it will be recorded and will be on this podcast as soon as I can get it up. <laughs> and thank you so much again for listening. We hope you we're blessed. We hope you were encouraged and that you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com women. Calvary Mac.